You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. I can see a few old faces, too. I'm Pastor Jeff. I'm uh, kind of the teaching lead pastor here this morning. Welcome. So those of you that are, that are new just kind of know who the old guy up here is, right? amongst all these youngsters up here. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, also, I want to let you guys know we got more of these in. We, um, promises of God, 199 promises. We've been uh, kind of talking on Hebrews 11 again, just the role of faith in the life of the believer. We've been looking at some great examples of men and women who uh, knew and understood what it meant to walk and to live by faith. And we've just really been talking throughout this series that if you don't have a promise from God, um, it's really almost impossible to develop or to walk in faith. As a matter of fact, uh, you'll hear me again this morning talk about this scripture in here, without faith it is impossible to please God. And, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God or the promises of God. And so if you don't have a promise from God, it's really hard to have faith in the word uh, or the promises of God. And so we've been encouraging you to get a promise that corresponds to a need, a circumstance in your life where you just need to stand on a promise, whether it's for your health, your finances, relationships, whatever that may be. And so we've kind of had these little books out there, I think $2, best $2 you'll spend a day. And um, you guys have bought them up every week and the poor folks at second service hear about the book but never see the book. So this week we've ordered 80 of them. And I dare you to buy us out today. So they're back there, $2. If you don't have $2 with you today or ever, it just take the book. We'd rather you have the promise of God than us, the two bucks. So uh, if you can't uh, afford the book, just take one um, and, and just get a promise from God and just begin to walk and stand in faith that God is who he says he is, that God is faithful to his word, that he is more than able to do above and beyond all we could think or ask. Amen. Yeah, we've been kind of, that video there, I mean, everything you saw in that video, every statement that you read in that video, we believe and we receive it by faith, right? All of that comes to us by way of God's grace through our faith in Jesus Christ and what he did upon the cross and through the resurrection. Hebrews 11.3 says, through faith... Okay, this is, again, how important faith is. It's through faith, by faith, because of faith, we understand that the worlds, and that word is ages or dispensations, were framed by the word of God. Now, I can't prove that statement is true any more than you can prove it's false, okay? Um, Now, obviously, I believe that statement there in Hebrews 11.3 to be true, I believe God created the heavens and the earth by the power of his word. I believe that God continuously sustains the heavens and the earth by the power of his word. I believe God created the heavens and the earth in six literal 24-hour days, whereas some of you believe God did it over the span of a thousand years. That's okay. I just believe in a faster God than you do. I believe all of this, not because I can prove it, 
Not because I was there to see it or because I saw a video of it happening. I believe all of this by faith in God's word. So again, faith plays such a critical, crucial role in our life as believers. Again, Hebrews eleven six 6 says, man, without faith, it is impossible. There's no way we can please God. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 10, 38 tells us that the just, the righteous, shall live by faith. And so throughout this series in Hebrews 11, we've been looking at men and women who have lived and walked by faith. We've looked at Abel and Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac. And one of the things I hope you're kind of starting to see as we talk about these men and women is they are not these spiritual giants that some of us make them out to be. Rather, these are ordinary men and women who struggle with doubts, made big mistakes, have shortcomings. I mean, they they kind of missed God often. They had to persevere through great trials and temptations and persecutions to do it. And sometimes we make these people, these ordinary people, out to be like these spiritual giants, these holy, righteous, great, mighty men and women of God. And they're so strong in faith. And we convince ourselves, I could never be like them. I could never have the kind of faith that they had. And the truth is, they are a lot like us in more ways than you probably realize. And believe it or not, you're going to hear this today, some of them are worse than you are. And God still used them. God still used their obedience and their lives as examples of great faith. I mean, just look at the family we talked about last week. Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Esau. I mean, you had sibling rivalry that began in the womb of, of Rebecca. I mean, before they were even born. Esau, you remember, he kind of displays his contempt for his birthright. He sells it to Esau for basically a happy meal without the toy. You have parents who were playing favorites in that Isaac loved Esau because Esau was a hunter and he supplied Isaac with great meat. Whereas Rebecca, she loved Jacob. I mean, you have this deception and scheming involving Rebecca and Jacob against Isaac, who's blind at that point in his life, all because Jacob wanted the firstborn blessing that belonged to Esau. You have tensions escalating between Jacob and Esau to the point that Jacob has to flee for his life because Esau's trying to kill him. Jacob leaves his family, and he goes off into a foreign land to live with his uncle Laban, and he never sees his mother again. Now, if you didn't know the family I was talking about here, you'd think that this was kind of maybe an introduction to an upcoming episode of the Jerry Springer show, right? I mean, this family, if you really read it for what it says, I mean, this is the epitome of dysfunction junction. And yet, look at how God used them and then points to them as examples to you and me of their faith. I don't know about you, but this gives me hope. And not because I'm striving to be as dysfunctional 
as they are. That comes natural to probably a lot of us. But just realizing and recognizing, man, if God can use them as broken and dysfunctional as they are, then perhaps God can use me in spite of all of my mistakes and my failures and my shortcomings. Again, sometimes we sanitize these people and the stories in the Bible. We're trying to clean them up and we're trying to make them more presentable. We're trying to make them look better than they really were. Sometimes we read these stories with rose-colored glasses. No offense, Tom and Pam. And when we do that, we just kind of tend to elevate these people to a status that is kind of this godlike perfection, and we disqualify ourselves because we think we don't measure up to them. Well, thank God some of you don't measure up to them. So it is refreshing as we're going through these stories to see what God can do with just ordinary people who are open, available, and surrendered to him, right? Let's pick up with our next story, shall we? That involves a character from last week's story, Jacob. Hebrews eleven twenty one 21 says, It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. So last week, we, we see Jacob kind of goes off to his uncle Laban's house to get away from the wrath of Esau, who kind of stole his birthright, stole his, uh, his uh, firstborn blessing. And Jacob says, I want you to go see Uncle Laban. While you're there, find a wife. Now, what's interesting is Jacob's name in the Hebrew, and we talked about this last week, meant heel grabber and deceiver. Remember, Esau comes out first. Jacob kind of reaches out and grabs his heel, and so they call him heel grabber. It also means deceiver. And he lived up to that in his dealings with his brother Esau. Now, what's interesting is when Jacob begins to deal with Uncle Laban, he kind of begins to quickly realize the deceiver is going to be deceived. The trickster Jacob is going to be tricked by Uncle Laban. Now, in Genesis 29, Jacob goes off to Haran, and he works for his uncle. Now, one day, Uncle Laban apparently isn't paying him anything other than maybe giving him room or board, and he says, you know what, Jacob? You shouldn't have to continue working for me for nothing, so name your wage. Jacob sees that Uncle Laban's got two fine daughters, one named Leah, the other one named Rachel, and so Jacob offered to work for his uncle for seven years in return for marrying Laban's daughter, Rachel. So Jacob fulfills his seven years of labor. At some point in the wedding festivities, Laban substitutes his older daughter, Leah, in place of Rachel. So again, Jacob, the deceiver, has been deceived. Now, once Jacob kind of figures out he's been tricked, he confronts Uncle Laban, and he is told, you know what, Jacob, this just isn't, it just isn't customary. It's just not right that you should marry the younger daughter before the older one is married. So that's why I gave you my older daughter first, um, but he said, you can also have Rachel, 
but you're going to have to work another seven years to get her. So Jacob agrees and says, okay, I, um, Leah's fine, but I really love Rachel. She's the one I want, so I will agree to work another seven years if I can have Rachel as my wife because he really loved Rachel more than Leah. So as you kind of read on into the story, you find that Jacob really loved Rachel more than his other wife, Leah, and this did not make God very happy. So the Lord caused Leah, the one that he really didn't love as much, to be able to bear children, and he caused Rachel, the one that Jacob really loved, to be barren. Now, I, I tell you this because remember what God's promise is to Jacob. We talked about this last week. It is blessing Isaac, and he says, I'm going to give you Children, I'm going to give you descendants that they're going to be nations and kings are going to come forth from you, Isaac, and, and this is passed down to Jacob. As a matter of fact, remember we talked about this last week. As Jacob is getting ready to leave for Uncle Laban's house, Isaac calls Jacob to him there in Genesis 28.3, and he says to Jacob, may God Almighty bless and give you many children. May your descendants multiply and become many nations. May God pass on to you and your descendants the blessings he promised to Abraham. Now, one of those blessings is, is that one of those individuals from your descendants, from those nations, is going to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is going to be the Messiah. So the initial promise made to Abraham is passed on to Isaac. Isaac takes it and passes it on to his son Jacob, who's now ready to start his own family. Are you with me? Okay, good. So Leah becomes pregnant. Now I'm going to just read this part to you from Genesis 29, beginning with verse 31, because some of you may be tempted to think I'm making this up or reading more into the story than I am. So I'm just going to read it to you from the Bible. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children, but Rachel could not conceive. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, and that name in the Hebrew means, here's my son. For she said, the Lord has noticed my misery. Now my husband will love me. Now, at some level, isn't that kind of sad? Don't you feel sorry for Leah? The reason she's having children is she's trying to win her husband's affection. And what's even sadder is it doesn't even appear to have worked. So what does Leah do? Verse 33, Leah soon became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She named him Simeon. That word in the Hebrew means hearing. For Leah said, the Lord heard that I was unloved, and he has given me another son. Then Leah becomes pregnant a third time and gave birth to another son. She named him Levi. That word in the Hebrew means attached. For Leah said, surely this time, this son, my husband will feel affection for me since I have not given him one, not two, but three sons. Once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. She named this one Judah, which means praise. For she said, now I will praise the Lord. And then she stopped 
having children. Now, in other words, after four children, all for the purpose of trying to make her husband love her to win his affections, perhaps she sees it doesn't work and she quits. Again, I mean, if you're reading this story and you're understanding this, again, this is pretty sad reason to have kids, but there you have it. So Rachel sees the four sons, her sister and co-wife, Leah, gives to Jacob, and she becomes jealous, which is never a good motivator. Since Rachel's unable to conceive, she decides she's going to give Jacob, her maidservant, Billa, and as a third wife, so Rachel can start her family through Billa. Billa gives birth to two sons, Genesis 30, beginning in verse 5. Billa becomes pregnant. She gives birth to a son for Jacob. Rachel said, now the Lord has judged in my favor. In other words, God is with me. God is for me. God likes me better than you. He has heard my prayer and given me a son. Eh, so she named him Dan, God judges. Rachel's slave, slave Billa becomes pregnant again, gave birth to a second son for Jacob. Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister Leah, and I've won. Woo! I'm the champion. So she named him Naphtali, my struggle. Do you see what's going on in this story? So what is Leah's response to all of this? <laughs> Two can play at this game. So she gives Jacob her maid servant, Zilpha, as Jacob's fourth wife. And Zilpha produces two more children for Jacob named Gad, which is the name Luck or Lucky, and Asher, meaning blessing. Now, just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, Genesis 30 begins in verse 14. One day during the wheat harvest, Reuben, the oldest son, found some mandrakes growing in a field and brought them to his mother Leah. Rachel begged Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Leah angrily replied, wasn't it enough that you stole my husband? Now you steal my son's mandrakes too? Rachel answered, I'm reading this to the, from the Bible because, again, you would be tempted to not believe if I was just telling you the story. Rachel answered, I will let Jacob sleep with you tonight if you give me some of the mandrakes. So that evening as Jacob was coming home from the fields, Leah went out to meet him. You must come home and sleep with me tonight, she said. I have paid for you with some mandrakes that my son found. Now, there's a, a, a name for this, and I'm going to let you fill that in. So that night, Jacob slept with Leah, paging Dr. Phil, paging Dr. Phil. Now, honestly, again, if you're at all following this storyline, this is bizarre. And I'm quoting this from the pages of the Bible because if I didn't, some of you would think I was reading kind of from a Jackie Collins novel or something. How many of you even know what a mandrake is? It's a plant that literally means love plant. It's an aphrodisiac. In certain doses, the mandrake plant was a hallucinogenic or a narcotic. So you might even be able to say these people were into drugs. 
I know this. I know some of you are ready to get up and get out of here because you just think this is heretical. How dare you just desecrate these holy people to us? I'm just telling you what's in the book. Now, it appears to have worked as an aphrodisiac because Leah becomes pregnant with a fifth and a sixth son, Aishur and Zebulun, and a daughter, Dinah. After all of this, Rachel is finally able to conceive. She gives a Jacob a son named Joseph and eventually a final son named Benjamin where Rachel dies in the process of giving birth. Now, why am I telling you all of this? I want you to understand Underneath all of the dysfunction, the chaos, the struggle, the the crazy details and circumstances, God was still at work to bring forth his plan. God still has a promise to Jacob that he fully intends to fulfill regardless of all of the dynamics in the background. In spite of all of the rivalry, the jealousy between Leah and, and Rachel, God is going to honor his word to Jacob and give him many children, produce nations through him, and eventually there's going to come forth the Messiah, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. This is the promise This is what Jacob focuses on, and he never loses sight of that promise despite everything that kind of seems to be kind of chaotic and dysfunctional around him. Now, Jacob may not have been thrilled about the way it was all coming to pass, but he never forgot, he never lost sight of the promise that God gave him, even when everything around him seemed crazy and out of control. Is this encouraging to anybody? See, some of you kind of think, the reason I tell this story is, is again, we, we tend to really sanitize, we tend to make these people out like they're these just great spiritual giants. I'm here to, some of you are so much better off than they were. Some of you are living such better, more godly, more righteous lives than they were. But God still worked God still had a plan and a purpose and a promise for them. So I'm just here to tell you this morning, if you're one of these people and you're kind of just thinking, man, I sometimes feel my my life mirrors that. I just want you to know that, that I'm not saying you have to stay there or, or that that's a good thing or, or, you know, try to get even worse and more dysfunctional. Then that's not what I'm saying to you. I'm just saying if you're there and things are crazy and hectic and you just feel like you, 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 you're missing God right and left, don't lose hope. God is still at work. He still has a plan. He still has a promise for you. So fast forward. I won't get into Joseph's entire story. Oh, I'm almost out of time. I haven't even gotten to the good part yet. We'll talk more about him next week because Joseph's up on the faith block next week. Joseph becomes Jacob's favorite son again. They never learn um, because he was the firstborn son of Jacob's beloved Rachel. Remember, he loved Rachel. Um, And so she produces a son, first son, automatically. That becomes Jacob's favorite. At one point, Joseph's brothers become so sick 
of, of Joseph, that they sell him to a traveling band of gypsies, and they tell their father Jacob that Joseph was attacked and killed by a wild animal. Can you imagine going and telling your dad that kind of a lie? You sold your brother into slavery. You go back and tell your dad that your favorite son has been killed, uh, was mauled by a wild animal. Here's his bloody coat to prove it. So Joseph's taken in, sold into slavery in Egypt. Jacob is just a mess. Through a series of events we won't go into, we'll go into more next week, Joseph rises to the second of command in Egypt just under the Pharaoh. Now, sometime later, a famine breaks out all over the world. Jacob hears there's just all this grain in Egypt, so he sends his sons to go and get some grain as the brothers are there. Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him, and through a series of events, Joseph's brother and his fathers are all reunited with Joseph. They move to Egypt to live to be near Joseph and to all of the resources he could provide. So since Joseph was living in Egypt, Egypt, he marries an Egyptian woman that his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. So in Genesis 48, you have the story that Hebrews 11.21 is referring to. So at the time of Genesis 48, Jacob is 147 years old. He was 130 when he moved to Egypt. So he's been reunited 17 years with his favorite son, Joseph. So Jacob is old. He's about to die. Word reaches Joseph that his father is not well. So Joseph takes his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and he goes to see Jacob. Now, when they arrive, Jacob informs Joseph, I am going to adopt your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, Genesis 48, verse 5, so this is Jacob. He says, so your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born in Egypt before I came here, and my sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, will be mine just as Reuben and Simeon are. Now, remember a couple of months ago, if you were here, I talked about the role of adoption Back in Bible days, anybody remember what the sole purpose of adoption was in the days of the Bible days? It wasn't because you were wanting to bring in a cute little infant, um, a new son or a new daughter. It was for the purpose of leaving your inheritance to somebody. The people that were going to get your stuff when you died, you weren't too impressed with, you weren't too thrilled with, and so oftentimes they would adopt people that they liked, that they trusted, that they thought were worthy of their inheritance. So Jacob's got these sons, and these sons are, they're just not good people. They're, they're, they're wicked. They're, they're evil. They've, you know, they tricked him into believing his beloved son Joseph was dead. I mean, that's just for starters. I mean, Reuben has adultery, an adulterous affair uh, with, with Jacob, one of Jacob's wives. He defiles his marriage bed. Uh, I mean, there's, there's just, these sons are not worthy of an inheritance. So Jacob says, I'm going, to in, I'm going to adopt these two boys because I want someone that I can leave my stuff to. The other interesting aspect of this is Jacob essentially kind of takes these two sons and he kind of grafts them in and they become these sons of Joseph and he kind of grafts them in. He brings them into the covenant nation of Israel. Now these two sons of Joseph, they're born in Egypt, they're born by an Egyptian woman. 
So they've been raised in an Egyptian culture. So Ephraim and Manasseh, they were not a part of the nation of Israel. They're not a part of the covenant of God. Therefore, they're kind of outside that covenant of God that he made with Israel. They're kind of outsiders. Now Ephraim and Manasseh, again, they represent Gentiles who were also in in the New Testament were outside the covenant of Israel, alienated from God and his promises. But through the death of Christ, we were grafted in. We were brought into the covenant God made with Israel and the Jewish race. The apostle Paul kind of refers to this in Romans 11 when addressing the Gentiles. He speaks about this whole concept of being adopted. Again, you weren't adopted because you're so darn cute, okay? You were adopted because God wants to leave an inheritance to you. The inheritance is in here. The inheritance is in here. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans eleven thirteen. He starts off by saying, Now I speak to those of you who were not Jewish. But some of the olive branches, Jewish race, have been broken off, and you, a wild olive branch, Gentiles, he's talking to you there. If you're not Jewish here, you are a wild olive branch this morning. Said you have been grafted in. You were outside, but God is now bringing you inside. He is adopting you as his children. And just as Jacob said that that Ephraim and Manasseh, they're going to be like my sons, Reuben and Simeon. You're going to be just like those that God spoke to in that Jewish covenant. Well, you say branches were cut off so I could be grafted onto the tree. And Apostle Paul says, that's right. So in this sense, what Jacob does with Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, he he adopts them. And by adopting them, he's grafting them into the nation of Israel. He is bringing them into the fold of God's covenant promises. And Jacob does this before he does anything else. Because the blessing would be added to and include the nation of Israel as well. So he says, I'm going to bless the nation of Israel through you, but before I do that, I want to make you a part of the nation of Israel, and I'm going to do that by adoption. So Jacob does this. As a matter of fact, many Jewish parents pray this blessing over their children, just as Jacob said they would. May God bless you like Ephraim Ephraim and Manasseh. Ah, I'm out of time. Okay. I will either try to pick this up and, and try to address this, um, but let me just give you the, the gist of the story. So basically, when he gets done with that, Jacob is about to pronounce the blessing on Ephraim and Manasseh. And so Joseph, because the scripture says that, that like Isaac, Jacob's dad, his eyesight was failing, we find in this story that Jacob has the same problem. His eyesight's failing. He's having a hard time seeing. So in this story, Manasseh is the oldest... Uh, Ephraim is the younger, and so Joseph helps Jacob out. And, and in, in uh, biblical days, the right hand was the hand that you would use to bless the older son. So Joseph is trying to help his aging, blind father, Jacob, out. And he says basically what he wants to do is he kind of puts um, Manasseh where Jacob's right hand would go, and Ephraim in the position where his 
left hand would go. Because again, the right hand is the prominent, it's the dominant hand. It's the one that he would use to bless the older. The left is the less dominant one. He would use that to bless. So when he goes to do this, he crosses hands. And Joseph is shocked. He is appalled. He's angered at him doing that because he recognizes what happened. You just took the firstborn blessing and gave it to Ephraim, the youngerborn, and you have deprived him of that. Now, I don't have time to get into all of that, but let me just tell you this. What the Scripture says was it was by faith. God says something to Joseph that for whatever reason, and he goes on and says in the Scripture, and I would have gotten to that if I wouldn't have spent so much time on the probably the dysfunctional family stuff. But it's just good stuff. You need to know it. I'm looking. When Joseph saw that his father had put his right hand on Ephraim's head, Joseph didn't like it, so he took his father's hand in order to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh. Joseph said to his uh, father, that's not right, father. Manasseh is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. And Joseph refused and said, I know, son, I know. Manasseh, too, will become a nation, and he, too, will be important. Nevertheless, he says, his younger brother will be more important than he and his descendants will become many nations. And that day, Jacob blessed him. So, again, there was something that, that God had either spoken or revealed to Jacob that said, Ephraim is going to be the greater. He is going to be the stronger. He's going to be the more mightier nation. And so rather than do it traditionally the way it would be done, he crossed hands. Again, there's something, and my contention is there's, there was something in the heart of Ephraim that God saw that maybe Joseph didn't see, maybe even Jacob himself didn't see it, but there was something in the heart of Ephraim that God saw beyond his appearance, beyond the appearance of Manasseh, the firstborn. There's something in the heart that God sees. That's what I want to be your focus this morning. Some of you here this morning, God sees your heart. Your life may be a mess this morning. Your life may mirror and it may be worse than what stories I told you here about these families today. God sees your heart. And God wants to deal with, and God wants to change, and God wants to heal your heart this morning. Because I believe for a lot of you right now, what maybe you're trying to do is you're trying to fix your outward circumstances. You're trying to do things on the outward part of your appearance or your life or your choices, and you don't understand really the heart is what it's all flowing out of. What you're trying to change on the outside, God sees that and he says, no, no, I want to change your heart. Psalm 51 verse 10 says, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Some of you this morning, we're trying to change our lives and really what we need is we just need our hearts changed. And once our hearts are changed, once our hearts become clean, our outward, our lives begin to mirror that. Our lives begin to kind of flow from that place of cleanness, of healing, of righteousness, of wholeness. So that's what I want to just offer to you this morning. I believe God sees every heart. There's, there's not a heart here that, that God doesn't see this morning. 
And I believe that God wants to minister, and God wants to heal broken hearts. God wants to uh, take hardened hearts this morning, and God just wants to break up, the Bible says, that hard ground. Farmers are going to be doing that here in a couple of weeks, it looks like. They're going to be going into the fields, and they're going to begin to break up that hard ground that the winter has created. Some of you are in a winter season. It's been hard on you. And in that, your hearts have become hard. God wants to soften that heart up. God wants to make your heart brand new. And out of that newness, out of that healing, out of that righteousness, blessings are going to begin to flow into your life. Amen? Amen. Let's just stand this morning. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.